the challenge, the opportunity to connect. The 1960s, a time of imagination and change, a time of anger and fear. The 1960s, a program called Challenge. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Looked at our connections, our divisions, through the lens of faith. Nearly 60 years later, during these challenging times, we'll take a new look at our divisions, our connections, in a new program called Challenge 2.0. American politics has been a test of faith, especially the last couple of years. But others find the prospect of combining faith and politics to be a test of their comfort zone. That then is the subject of this edition of Challenge 2.0, Prayer and Politics, Its Problems and Its Promises. So it's our pleasure today to welcome two guests who are particularly well-informed on this topic of the relationship between faith and politics, Reverend Paul Benz and Elise DeGroyer, who are co-directors of Faith Action Network and have been doing this work for some time and have a lot of experience over these issues. Paul and Elise, I think it might be helpful if we simply began by explaining how the Faith Action Network came to be and what it does, at least in an overview sense. Sure, I'll start. Um, we're delighted to be here today for sure. And thank you for having the conversation. Um, Faith Action Network was formed 10 years ago, this coming June, um, in the merger of the Washington Association of Churches and Lutheran Public Policy Office to bring the two organizations that had long history together um, to do something new. And so the rebranding as Faith Action Network with emphasis on faith-based uh, focus on social justice, um, also coming together for action and uh, rather than uh, mo mostly dialogue, but, but focused on action and as a network, um, not a membership organization, but a set of partnerships. And in that time, I mean, it was um, 2011, interfaith seemed to be the most important way forward to be able to work together um, based on our faith inspiration to work for justice. So we're gonna be celebrating our 10th anniversary coming up. Well, congratulations on that. As we record this and as we speak, there's a legislative session underway and we're going to address further some of your priorities and goals and uh, what you're focusing on. But I'd like to step back and maybe look at two different elements uh, that come up a lot in discussion of uh, uh, political life and legislative life. And that is some people question whether there's really a place for faith in politics and others say that you really can't live out your faith without engaging in public life. Uh, what are your perspectives on those? Well, um, I'm, I'm, I, can, I can be a bit of a semantist in terms of semantics, because uh, as we uh, hear, especially these days, and have always, um, from either elected officials or perhaps from our parents, <laughs> words do matter. So you just use some words, Jeff. Um, the word politics, um, faith in politics. Uh, politics is, a, it can be, and oftentimes is a bit of an explosive word. Mm -hmm. And I think um, if, if we can <clears throat> in society, uh, which is seem seemingly more and more difficult to have a civil conversation, what does the word factually 
politics mean? The root word of political politics is polis. You don't have to have uh, a great um, PhD to understand what the word polis means. It means community. Every community, household, city, state, nation is a polis of sorts. Those polises need to figure out how to use King's words, King's phrase, how shall we live together? Okay. And that is, um, it involves everybody around the table and the faith community um, uh, should be at that table. L literally, we could always say, well, if, if, if the faith element uh, should not be in the political process, so I added a word on to political to give it more definition, um, then maybe we should make sure that the uh, chaplains in the other Washington do not open uh, the daily sessions with prayer because that is a very important faith element, but it's embedded in the political process. So if we don't want faith, so again, it's having that civil conversation, what do we mean by faith and I would just add that um, each of the traditions that Fan engages, engages with, each of the major traditions um, has an element of what is the care for neighbor? What is the encouragement to care for each other, um, to stand up when others' rights or lives are threatened, um, and to figure out how we'll live together in community, as Paul says. Um, and I think that in my study of religions and um, what I've seen, I mean, religion has the power to um, both inalienate and to bring us together. And at FAN, in working together on shared values, the, the value that everybody might have food or shelter or um, that people are treated fairly or are not threatened by our laws or not threatened um, by others in the society, with those shared values, we can take the strength of our faith traditions and help make them happen. So we have a long history in this area, the Northwest of um, our faith groups being strong proponents for change and active and um, working within that political realm to, to make, to work for the common good. The tagline for FAN is a partnership for the common good. And that is what unites us together. Um, you know, I would mention from our Christian traditions, we know the, the scriptures and, and what we're called to do there, um, to love, to care for neighbor, um, and oftentimes standing up against uh, the forces of empire uh, from the Jesus tradition. Um, in the Jewish tradition, the work for tikkun olam, the repair of the world, um, is mentioned over and over as the guiding light. And from each tradition, there is something like that mm -hmm. to bring us together. I have to ask that at least in uh, too much of public dialogue, it seems that a lot of that dialogue has been dominated by voices that maybe don't represent the same perspectives from faith that I'm hearing you talk about. What difficulties do you feel uh, are posed by that? And do you find that your access to our legislative leaders, uh, governmental leaders, is made more difficult by those very different messages? 
Well, I'll just start and say that I think we'll be in trouble if we start thinking in terms of religion as the religious left and the religious right, um, much like our society is in trouble with that bifurcation. However, you know, there are elements of everything in each tradition. And I think um, specifically in terms of faith traditions that we need to figure out um, how we re react and respond to our founding documents, to our uh, founding leaders, to our um, to our traditions. Uh, the, the part uh, part of your question, Jeff, was about uh, does it make it difficult? I believe for access, and I don't think so um, because um, no matter what group you are. Um, Access is only difficult if you have not, uh, what, exercised the democratic right to build that access and mm -hmm. that relationship, right? And uh, once an elected official knows who you are, and if it's of any import, uh, whether you are a constituent, meaning then voter, or a organization that has an association, if you know what I mean, that could bring uh, other voices to bear and uh, dollars to bear. Uh, we don't bring dollars to bear because we're not a C4 in terms of the elections That's and all that, that stuff, right? But we do have voices. And of course, the moral authority is not just within the religious community. A moral authority, the agency of that, I think, is of, of each. Uh, the creator has given that to each of us, no matter how we end up identifying ourselves. But uh, I think the bottom line is uh, our access has not been limited because we have been intentional about being present at the table um, where decisions are made. If you would then, as you move through this process of engaging with lawmakers, uh, attempting to translate some of your values, some of your goals into policy, this, of course, is an odd year uh, in many respects, but in terms of everything or most everything being done virtually, if you would, in a more typical year, take us on a virtual trip, if you would, following along with you and your colleagues in Olympia, telling us what do you do? How do you do it? You know, working in the legislative session is a year-round process, even though the, the legislature only convenes during these months of January through April this year, January through March in a short session. But um, the coalitions we work with and FAN does our work in partnership uh, for the common good, as I said before, um, partnership with coalitions that aren't necessarily faith-based coalitions, but are justice focused. And that work begins, that work happens through the year. So coalitions have been meeting and figuring out how to move forward. Um, the kinds of changes that would create more justice and more equity for people. And then FAN forms a, a legislative agenda with the consultation of our network across the state with our program committee, our board, and in dialogue, I guess I would say, with these coalitions who have our experts in their subject area. And then we lift up that legislative agenda and start moving it forward. Um, one of the things we've done this year was try to prepare people for what's it going to look like to have a remote legislative session. Okay. How can they raise their voices? So while the work is done at the Olympia and lobbying level, it's also done by citizen advocates. So we're doing both 
Um, we are trying to help resource and create um, space for citizens to take action. You know, in season, um, just to speak to that a little bit, um, we don't operate any differently than any other, again, to use the phrase um, uh, association. And um, they, you could call them a lobby group, whatever you wanna call them. They are there to influence um, and to advance their concern, their bill. And obviously in a free democratic society, small d, there will be opposing viewpoints <laughs> and uh, opposing viewpoints among those associations, those statewide associations and within the legislative chambers themselves. So uh, again, it is a great crucible to use that word very deliberately <laughs> that the democratic process was never established to be an easy process which to go through. We could give our own racial equity lens over that and who's been um, at the helm, so to speak, of those legislative bodies. But uh, suffice it to say that um, that's what it looks like for a Faith Action Network. Uh, very, very similar in terms of lobbying, having conversations, engaging the grassroots um, so that it's not just my voice or Elisa's voice or another faith leader's voice, but that you have members and fan uh, members in those legislative members district speaking up as well, the citizen advocates. You were kind enough to provide your legislative agenda with me. And I see that if I counted correctly, uh, that that falls into six different areas. If you would give us an overview of what it is you hope to accomplish in this legislative session and for the year ahead. So one thing I wanted to emphasize that I forgot in the overview of the, the year is that during the season then, during the legislative session, um, we also provide advocacy days. Uh, we have an interfaith advocacy day in Olympia every year. This year it will be remote, but that's when as many possible of our uh, advocates, you know, one year it was 400 um, come down to Olympia to uh, get information about the bills, meet with their legislators, um, meet with each other, get to know each other in their legislative districts and uh, have that one day of advocating. We always say it's not just one day, you know, spread it out through the year. This is the 15 minute foundation you'll get with your legislator. Um, we are a, uh, not just a uh, faith-based social justice organization, but again, words count. So, um, uh, to sharpen the pencil on social justice, we are also a social change organization. So we are trying to change, reform existing statutes uh, so that there might be more racial equity in our state, economic equity, uh, and that covers a lot of different areas. Um, we are trying to ensure probably the most important, um, two important things this, this session, but probably it all goes back to, to um, the one that I'm gonna mention, the highest constitutional responsibility the 147 lawmakers have this session is to establish, this gets back to the polis, mm -hmm. um, the budget. Every human entity, whether you're an individual, household, state, business, whatever, has a budget. 
And what, and each budget contains a values, contains priorities. What is the Washington state budget? Approximately $57 billion covering two years. Where do the poor and the vulnerable fit into that? Mm-hmm. Where do our, our communities of color in terms of racial equity fit into that? So that's the... You mentioned budget, and I'd like to go back and address some of those other issues as well. But uh, in a year in which we're still fighting COVID, in which many businesses are shut down or temporarily or permanently, uh, that would seem to make revenue a major challenge. So how is that going to play into your goals of achieving uh, some of these policy changes? Is it going to be a bit of a holding action, or do you still see ways forward in achieving these things, even given the business and economic climate we're facing? I, I, in general, I would, would say that as we entered you know, COVID and as we entered thinking about this session, um, we just had to make sure that it was not going to be a session of cuts, mm-hmm. uh, even though there were uh, significant deficits expected. And now that's a $3 billion deficit. It may change, or Paul may have newer information, but at the time, you know, it's $3 billion. Um, we also know that we are the uh, most regressive taxation in the, in the nation. Uh, Washington is number one in the most regressive, where low-income people um, bear the greatest burden in taxation. So we seek to work with our coalition partners to turn that, to change that, to make uh, other sources of revenue available, and to also make sure that uh, we are funding things that will be essential to the economic recovery, including um, the Working Families Tax Credit, which we work on to make sure that cash gets into the pockets of the people who have been hurt the most. People who work in in, um, essential services and harvest our food and um, their their jobs, or I mean, either in essential services or in restaurants and service industries where their jobs are gone. There is a phrase in the New Testament that says, to whom much is given, much is expected. So in terms of taxation, and so going from the broad to the narrow very quickly here, um, in terms of taxation, and obviously I just mentioned uh, a word or just the word tax, the root word, um, is an explosive word as well in our society. But uh, nonetheless, how does, again, to go back to the um, five-letter word polis, how does the polis fund itself? How do we live together? And last I checked, uh, sure, there's great conversations that, well, just do away with the currency. You know, um, I don't know that that's going to happen overnight. So in other words, um, there is a capital gains proposal in terms of not cutting our way out of this that Elise mentioned. And that Mm -hmm. is the position of, of most of our partners, almost all of them. Let's not cut our way out of this difficult situation. Let's tap the funds we have in the rainy day fund, which is almost around two to three billion. The legislators will use that, and that's an appropriate use because that fund, the formula when that was set up, is that money will keep coming in. There's a defined formula, so it's not like we're taking it and breaking that bank. 
that bank will continue to receive uh, public dollars. That's another important phrase. Um, and the capital gains tax has been a proposal that's been around for several years. So this is not unfamiliar to both sides of the aisle okay. and uh, would raise a significant amount of money to help where the rainy day fund reaches its maximum in terms of the deficit and all of the relief programs needed, the COVID-19 relief programs, I'll just leave it at that. Okay. In terms of individuals, households, and businesses, those are three key categories. Um, um, that is a, an appropriate um, uh, tax to enact. Obviously, there will be vociferous opposition that will be taken to the state Supreme Court because of our constitution mm -hmm. and the continual a debate about interpreting the words of the Constitution and previous court decisions will, will come into play. Uh, do you ever engage in lobbying the lobbyists to try to get them to see perhaps a bigger picture? Uh, you always need to have conversations with those on who oppose what you're proposing, right? And so that conversation happens in two areas the legislative members, because there is seldom ever unanimity. Okay. It's always um, uh, opposition amendments. And then obviously those amendments are brought forward, um, obviously officially by a member, but they are proposed by an association of some kind. Okay. So like for um, uh, police reform to be, to get a bit specific, um, there have been, and, and this is not just something that started in the 2021 legislative session, right. police reform has been an, uh, an ongoing effort for the last several years. There have been good conversations, difficult conversations, uh, because we're talking again about the word change and change doesn't come easy. Yeah. I'll, just, I'll just say myself, change does not come easy for this person. Um, and we know it doesn't come easy with those areas that we are trying to change in our society. So, point is, yes, most definitely you have that conversation. And at some point in time, you have to civilly say, we agree to disagree. Right. In parts of the media and in popular perception, there's sort of this caricature of uh, legislators, congressional people, representatives, people in elected office that is not necessarily flattering. Uh, to what degree would you care to uh, correct that, that you think it's inaccurate? And to what degree do you also think it's harmful for us being able, as you said, in addressing the interests of functioning together smoothly as a community? There have been times in my, um, this is now my 21st session, uh, when a legislator has used certain words that has offended and is offensive in terms of race or religion. And um, that's obviously goes without saying, um, very, very difficult to enter into, but needs to be, the light needs to be shed on it. If it's not being shed either by the media or by that member's caucus leader, sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. Oftentimes the media has shown a light on it, but how far has that light shined within the, the decision-making leaders of the legislature. So obviously one of our purposes as a religious organization 
involved in the political process, the legislative process, um, and the members therein, it's incumbent upon us to also speak up and work with our partners um, and and speak to those members about that. That's what that what's been painful. You know, I would just add that uh, when we uh, offer text, perhaps, or suggested messaging that some of our advocates um, use in their communications with their elected officials, we always, always add, thank you for your public service. And I don't think we do that just lightly or um, we really mean that public service is hard. And uh, depending on what their motivations were, I think the vast majority enter into it with the intent of serving their community. We may not agree with how they see things, but they, their service is part of it. So, and so when somebody violates that service, when someone um, is causing, you know, uh, strife or uh, as, as a legislator recently uh, called out, prepare for war um, to their constituents, um, that's a problem for sure, uh, Paul was speaking more to that. Um, but, but we'd like to start with, thank you for your public service. And, and know that accountability is part of that. You're accountable to your, to your community, your constituents, and your state, and the greater good of your state. Uh, I can see going forth as we cover the different issues that we do on this program that I hope you'll come back and join us again. And, uh, Again, just a hearty thank you to both of you for the work that you do. And we would invite all of you saying thank you for watching us this week, that you'll join us again next week on Challenge 2.0. Thank you very much. If you've enjoyed this program, found our conversations to be informative, entertaining, and thought-provoking, and the vision inspiring of people from different backgrounds who can disagree without being disagreeable, perhaps you might consider supporting our program with a contribution. Your support will not only help our program continue, it will also support the broader efforts of Paths to Understanding, our supporting parent nonprofit organization. If you've enjoyed this program, please give us five stars and leave a review. If you can also tell one friend about the show, that would be great. You can find us on social media at Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter. You can find out more and financially support the show at pathstounderstanding.org. The program is hosted by executive producer Jeff Renner, produced by Tom Butterworth and John Sharifi. Cameras and audio by Rich McAdams, Tom Butterworth, and Dean Cuccio. Ian Olson is the production assistant.